welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 14th of March 2010, entitled, A Mother to be Praised, Part 1, and the Bible reading is Proverbs, Chapter 31. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to Proverbs, Chapter 31 this morning, while you're turning in your Bibles, allow me to... uh, just personally wish all you mothers a happy Mother's Day today. And uh, as we look into God's Word, I trust and pray that, uh, you know, again, uh, I don't know of any better way to honor a godly mother than in God's Word. And uh, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 30. And I'm going to begin reading in Well, we're just going to begin reading in verse 1 and read right down through verse 31. Let me invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word this morning. Proverbs 31, verse 1 says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows... Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto them that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. The fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is like silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue 
is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let us pray. Father, what a great privilege and honor it is to be in your house this morning. And Father, we thank you for the time that we've already been able to spend together. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we've been able to spend in song and in prayer. Lord, we pray now that as we look into your word this morning, we pray for your anointing. We pray for that touch from on heaven that can only come from you, Lord. You know the hearts of each individual here. We pray that each heart would be spoken to, that each one would be responsive. May you speak and may we know that it's you that has spoken to our hearts for your glory, for your honor alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's amazing how something as simple as Mother's Day could really raise so many questions because it just raises many questions with many people when it comes around. The question has even been asked by some as Christians, should we even celebrate Mother's Day? Questions like, well, what about all of those to whom it brings hurt rather than joy? What about those that have had bad mothers? What about those who have had mothers that have deserted them or many that would not even know who their biological mother is? What about those who maybe have a great desire and have wanted to but have never been able to, to bear children? The list can go on and on and on. And many of them are valid questions. I would say to you this, though, that I know an awful lot of people the Brother Steve, unless something changes in their life one day, they're going to go and spend an eternity in a place called hell. But that doesn't mean, folks, that we don't talk about heaven because people are dying and going to hell every day. Many people that you and I speak to and witness to will be offended greatly by the gospel. That doesn't mean that we shy away from the gospel. I ask you the simple question this morning and hope to give you a biblical answer. Should mothers be praised? Is it biblical to praise mothers? You see, it's one thing for us to have a personal opinion. And to be quite honest, we should be gracious and loving and kind if some people want to celebrate it, fine. If some don't, fine. That's a personal thing. But it's another thing when that, you know, we say we take a biblical stance here. And I'll just ask you this morning, you know, as we look into this passage even that we've read before us, 
Is it biblical to praise mothers? Verse 28 says, her children arise up and call her blessed. It says, her husband also, and he praiseth her. And look how he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. There's no other woman on the face of the earth like you, my wife. We find that he goes on to say in verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, what does the Bible say? She shall be praised. And then he goes on in the next verse, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates, in the public place, outside of her own home as well. I want to look at a thought this morning and this evening, a simple thought. This is not an unusual passage to look at on Mother's Day for certain. And I want to be the first to say, you know, that just as with Christmas and Easter, even those holidays that we would tag as Christian holidays, that there is much wrong in the world in the way that the world celebrates those holidays. That doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate the birth of Christ. It doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we ought to stay as far away from the ghastly, commercialized celebrations that the world has pinned to them. I would say that as we think of something called Mother's Day, I would be the first to admit, just like so many other things, it has been commercialized because the world wants to make money off of it. And so I'm not condoning in any sense or shape this morning the celebrations of the world. But what I want you to grasp and understand from a biblical standpoint is that your wife, your mother deserves to be praised and honored based upon the Word of God. And that's what the day is supposed to be about. And you can stay away from all of the worldly commercialization and money-making gimmicks, and you can still offer praise and honor to that person that deserves it and that God says deserves it. Matter of fact, I think it's a pretty small thing if we just set aside one day out of the year but how can we say that she doesn't deserve a day that's set aside to honor her? You see, the passage before, she's praised by her children. She's praised by her husband. She's praised by the Lord. She's praised in the gates of the public by her own testimony. The results, the fruit, if you would, of her life will be her ultimate eulogy as to what she's to be praised for. If this woman is worthy of praise from God's standpoint, which he himself clearly states, then we need to ask ourselves, what made her worthy of that praise? Why does God show her worthy to be praised by all of those around her, her friends, those around her at the gates, those were the public figures of their day, if you would, where the elders met. 
Today, if your memories of your mother are not good ones, then I am genuinely sorry that you can't have better memories. But you know, it's still important from God's Word to know what God teaches us about what He calls a virtuous woman. Whether it's for your own life as a woman here this morning, there's not a woman in this congregation this morning that doesn't know what woman God says is worthy of praise. What God says is a virtuous woman. It's important for the men in identifying what is really praiseworthy of the women that are in your life and that are around you. What about those who are not married? Those that don't have children. We find that our passage here in verse 10, it speaks of, notice it says, who can find a virtuous woman? Now, granted, the passage here is illustrated by a woman who is both a wife and a mother. However, the word that's translated woman there is a woman that, that speaks of a woman in a very general sense. She could be a wife or not a wife. She can be a mother or not a mother. In fact, the principles that are applicable to be a virtuous woman are applicable whether you are married or unmarried, whether you have children or don't have children. These same principles need to be applied to your life. It's important to recognize. You know, some people read this without even stopping to really stop and think what's being said there in verse 1 and 2. These things are actually being taught to a man, not a woman. He tells us there in verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. You see, these are the things that King Lemuel is recording that were taught to him by his mother. We find that Proverbs 31 the final chapter in the book of Proverbs. And these words here, it tells us very clearly in verse 1, are the words of King Lemuel. The chapter is actually made up of two Hebrew poems. The verse, first one, verses 2 through 9, is a poem that's entitled, The Wise King. And then verses 10 through 31, The Virtuous Woman. And you find that they're not linked together by coincidence or by accident. This is what was taught to him by his mother for a very specific purpose. You see, the teachings that are before us today are the teachings of a godly mother to her son. To this, there's no doubt. Now, the son that's identified here is King Lemuel. We don't know anything else about him. I wasn't there, so I can't vouch for this 100%, but ancient Jewish tradition would say that would teach us that King Lemuel is the same as King Solomon, that it's another name for the same man. And, of course, King Solomon is the one that is responsible for the book of Proverbs. 
a good portion of them being his own and others that he's recorded of the wisdom that's been passed on to him. But it doesn't really make a difference when it comes down to what is being taught here because we know that it's being taught by a godly mother to her son. And whether King Lemuel and King Solomon are one and the same person, it really has no difference because it's the teaching that's going out to this one that's important. And we know that this godly mother here is seeking, speaking with a passion. Has your mom ever told you something with real passion? <laughs> I mean, you knew that, man, her heart was in this. We know this as we look there, and he begins in verse 2. He says, she says, what, my son? And what, the son of my womb? And what, the son of my vows? You see, he repeats this phrase, my son, three times consecutively. We know that she also says, you're the son of my vows. It would seem that this godly mother is most likely here speaking of the vows that she's taken when she's dedicated this child to God, just as Hannah had dedicated Samuel in the Scriptures. Vows that she had taken. Of course, then in verses 3 through 9, he's warned against being weak. He's warned against giving in to carnal vices such as women and alcohol that would weaken his own convictions, that would weaken his ability to reason, that would weaken his ability to be just in the matters that he was dealing over. Things that were so important were the responsibilities that he had, yes, in this case, as a king. There are those that says that alcohol is only prohibited by the preacher, not everybody else. Well, you haven't read your Bible very thoroughly. The truth is here, this one is being prohibited to stay away from it because of the responsibilities in his life that he might be able to carry those things out as he ought to. Now, he's saying, okay, if you're on death row... <laughs> If you don't have long to live in this world, if you're in a lot of pain and agony and you don't have to worry about anything else and you need to give that person that alcohol in order to, to soothe their misery, then go ahead. But it's not for you that has to be responsible and make responsible decisions. And he goes on to explain. explain. You give it to that person. Why? So that they won't remember their misery anymore because of the effect and the influence that it would have upon them. You see, things that might be appropriate for someone that is beyond those responsibilities and needing comfort in some way, it's not appropriate for him. He needs to be strong. Matter of fact, he goes on to say, instead of giving in to weakness and instead of allowing yourself to be carried into those weakness. You need to stand up for those that are weak. You need to stand up for the poor and the needy. You need to stand up on their behalf instead of being one of them because of giving in to the vices that are there. In contrast to being weak and destroying himself with the, with the wrong kind of woman, the next poem teaches him what he should be looking for in a woman, the things that would make her worthy of praise, his praise, his children's praise, God's praise, the praise of those around her. 
Let me tell you, this woman stands in stark contrast, which was away with the Hebrew poetry. They often contrasted. They often come out with these double positive and double negatives, and they contrasted the good against the bad and so forth. And here, he's being on the one hand warned away from the wrong kind of woman, the kind that would weaken and destroy him. And he's being told the kind of woman that he needs to have as part of his life. Verse 10 begins the second poem, The Virtuous Woman. We find that the words, I believe, would be the desire and the prayer of this godly mother for her son. It should be the desire and the prayer of the son himself. To take and to use the wisdom that is being passed on prudently in choosing a wife. Now, this poem is exactly 22 verses long, with each verse beginning with 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in alphabetical order. There's 22 letters to the alphabet. The poem has taken each letter in consecutive order and begun a verse with that. That was the style of poetry that it was written in. And it's also, as was, again, as I've said, that is common with the Hebrew poetry. It's often in contrast, contrasting the good against the bad, the positive against the negative. Verse 10 says, who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Now, you'll pick up a lot of commentaries, and they'll tell you that this is a rhetorical question that means that she can't be found, a lot of them. Well, I can't see how you can even think that with everything that follows after. The, the simple fact is, why is he, how, who can find a virtuous woman? The woman is real. She does exist. But she must be found. Back in chapter 12, verse 4, it says, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is a rottenness in his bones. You notice the Proverbs are very explicit a lot of times. <laughs> they don't leave a whole lot for the imagination. I mean, they just spell it out there and paint a picture for you. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But the contrast to that, she that maketh ashamed is a rottenness in his bones. You see, in both of these verses, we see the value that is being placed upon a virtuous woman. She's described as a, a crown to her husband. And it's said here that her, her, her price is far above rubies, more expensive more expensive. It's worth more than all of those expensive jewels that can be had. It is the virtuous woman that is of such value that she's worthy to be praised. In chapter 12, verse 4, the virtuous woman is contrasted against the one that maketh ashamed. Rather than one to be praised, the other woman here is one to be ashamed of and one that will bring shame to you. He says, she is rottenness in his bones. 
In other words, she's going to be such a pain. <laughs> she's going to bring you so much misery, so much agony, that it's going to be like your bones rotting on the inside of your body, like a painful, incurable disease that you can't get rid of. She'll sap your strength. She'll make life miserable. You know, guess what happens to the rest of the body if your bones rot away? <laughs> Doesn't hang around long, does it? <laughs> it's not a pretty picture that he's painting here. This contrast about how fantastic and great it can be on the one hand and how miserable that it can be if it's the wrong kind. So what's meant by a virtuous woman? This one is, that is of such value. This one that is worthy of praise. Well, it's interesting. The word that is used here that is translated virtuous, it speaks of literally a force, a strength. It speaks of something that has substance and valor. Virtue, excellence, worthiness. We find that as we look at these verses, I pray that they'll serve to remind us all today of what's truly praiseworthy in our mothers, in our wives, in the women around us. And it may remind us that if you're one of the ones that are blessed, it might be your mother, it might be your wife, it might be somebody that has actually been a mother to you when you maybe didn't have such a good one of your own. When was the last time you praised her? You told her thank you. You told her how much you appreciated the virtue, the godliness in her life. I pray that as we look here today that it will serve to remind every man here, every young man, every boy, of just what is truly praiseworthy in a woman. To remind us of the things that we should be thanking God for. To remind us of the things that are worthy of praise not only in our own mother, but the things that should be looked for and appreciated and praised in a wife, one that will make you stronger physically, emotionally, spiritually. You see, we need to pay close attention to the contrast of the women that are pictured here and what truly makes a woman virtuous. I also pray that every woman here today, and yes, the young women and the girls, that you'll see what God calls a virtuous woman. I pray that you'll see what will make you worthy of God's approval, of God's praise, in God's eyes, not in the eyes of this corrupt, sinful society that we live in, too often we become more concerned about the approval and the praise of a world 
that is steeped in and cursed in sin than we do what God himself says is worthy of praise and honor and glory. I pray that for you women that it would create in you a desire to be the kind of woman of strength that God wants and that every, every godly man needs. The kind that every man that's following after God needs for a wife and the kind that every child needs for a mother. I'm going to do something maybe a little bit unusual as we look at this passage today. Something that we're normally told not to do. You're not supposed to go to the last page of the book and read how it finishes before you read everything that leads up to it. But we're going to begin at the end. Because as we begin there, I believe it's where we'll find the root, the very basis, the very foundation of this virtuous woman that is described to us. Oh, we'll be looking at some realities and some results. You know, I think most of those are pretty self-explanatory as we read through them. I want us to grasp and try to understand what it is that God is teaching us here about virtue, about this virtuous woman, and what it's going to require in order to experience the reality of that in your life. So we begin with the root of her virtue, which I believe is clearly the fear of the Lord. Verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. It's not a coincidence, folks, that this great book of Proverbs with all of its wisdom and all of its teaching, that's its purpose in teaching knowledge. It's not coincidence that it begins with the fear of the Lord, it ends with the fear of the Lord, and you can follow the fear of the Lord all the way through it. Notice back in chapter 1, when the Proverbs are first being given, notice how it begins. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Notice he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, he said it's being given that you might be instructed, that you might have wisdom. But the place that's got to begin is with the fear 
of the Lord. Same word in verse 7 there, the same word that we find here in verse 30, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You see, a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That's the real heart of the matter. A woman that feareth. What do you think of when you think of fear? I'm not talking about those emotions that you feel when you've been watching some horror movie that you shouldn't have been watching in the first place or reading some scary book that gives you nightmares in the middle of the night. The word translated feareth here in the Hebrew is yare. It means, guess what? It means fearing, reverent, to be in reverence. You see, it's speaking of a fear that is a reverence for God a reverential awe and admiration. It's a submissive fear. It's the kind of fear that can only come through truly learning about and knowing God, which is found in His Word, which is found in walking with Him. You see, there is another kind of fear. There is a fear that if you are here this morning and you don't have absolute 100% assurance and confidence that you're a child of God, that you're saved, that your sins have been washed away, that you've been born again, that you're ready to face God with your life right now, then you ought to be in fear, in terror of standing before a holy God and having to give account for your own sin. Oh, there is a fear that a lost man should have. But the fear that a saved person should have is quite different. The lost person should recognize the wrath and the terror of God. But it's only a saved person who has the Holy Spirit present within him that can truly get to know and understand who God is and to know God as a person, to stand in awe and reverence of God for all that he is. I like what John MacArthur states concerning this fear. He says, the fear of the Lord is a state of mind in which one's own attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. <laughs> you see, it's the kind of attitude that the psalmist was writing about that we sang earlier in Psalm 42, 1, as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. O God, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? that desire that comes from so deep within to know him and to know him better and to know him better and to be with him. The fear of a lost person should drive him to his knees in terror to avoid the wrath of a holy God against his sin. Whereas throughout the scriptures, the fear of God in relation to a child of God results in that person living a godly life. It's the motivation 
that will truly produce holy living. Godly fear is the result, first of all, believing in God. And then when one sees who God really is, believing God, believing all that God's Word teaches about Him, believing all that it gives us about Him. You see, it's only in really knowing Him that will bring about a, a godly fear, an awe, a reverence, a respect for God that's being talked about here. Is He truly, above all else in your life, the one that you hold in awe and reverence and respect above everything else that is more important to please than your own desires, than your own selfishness, than the things that, that you want that make you happy, that make you feel good? Is it God that means more to you than those things? We ask ourselves sometimes, you know, why why do a lot of those lost people struggle so much with even simple things like creation? <laughs> I mean, God created it. How simple can you get? Well, it's because, folks, they have such a small view of God. A true child of God who truly begins to know and understand who God is, it's no trouble to believe that God spoke it and it was done. Because our God's big enough. It's hard to illustrate in real life situations because there's nothing in this life that can compare to the awesomeness of God. <laughs> nothing. But I can give you a couple illustrations that maybe give you a little taste in my own life. And that was probably if I've ever been in a position where that respect and reverence was a place that was on display. It was when I was in the military. <laughs> you know, I can still remember, after more years than I care to count and tell you how many it's been this morning, I can still remember when I entered boot camp. I can still remember Sergeant Tuttle and Airman Lewis. I still remember their names. Never forgot them after all these years, even though they only had an influence for those few weeks of my life. But I remember the awe and the respect that they commanded when their uniforms were so starched they could have crawled out of them and they would have stood up by themselves. <laughs> they had those big brimmed hats. We call them Smokey Bear hats. You know, the brims come way out there. And I can remember more than once when the brim of their hat was touching the brim of my head when they were standing there and they were shouting at the top of their voice. Now, it may not sound very spiritual, but they didn't make any bones when you got there and they told you in no uncertain terms. They were your dad. They were your mom. They were your God. They were everything to you until you left that place. What they were saying is what they said. That's it. And you know what? There's a certain respect when those men for six weeks or whatever that I was, that I was in, in basic training, those men are still etched very clearly in my memory because of the respect, the awe. You know, what's amazing, when I look back now, I didn't, I didn't know any better then. I mean, one was a sergeant, but one of them was only a one-striper. I mean, you know, he only had probably six months more in the service than I did. 
But boy, he didn't give you that impression. And when they said something, there were no questions. You did it. And believe me, when you did something, you wanted to do it in such a way that it was going to please them and make them happy because you did not want them to be upset with you. Sometime later, when I was still in the military, when that, that's where I first started my college education. Only difference was it was a military school. And our classes started at 6 a.m., and we had to fall into formation about 5.15 every morning. That was after you done had your breakfast and done all those other things. You fell in at 5.15 to stand inspection before you marched off to school. And you know, the truth was, every morning, you knew what was expected of it. You knew what that uniform better looked like. You knew how you better look. You knew how clean-shaven that you ought to be and all these things. But you know, there was an amazing thing. I was never afraid if I knew I was prepared. If I knew I was ready to stand, I knew my uniform was, was what they were expecting. I knew my hair. I knew that everything was in order. But there were a few times. You ever tried dry shaving? Oh, there were a few times on the run that I was dry shaving on the woman because I was not about to turn up for that inspection with any hair on my face. <laughs> Folks, it's, it's, it's not an easy way to get hair off your face, believe me. <laughs> but the thing was, I was going to be prepared. But I had nothing to fear as long as I was prepared and I was ready. And you see, it's, there, was no question, there was no questioning their authority. And because of the respect and the reverence that you had for those that were in command over you, it never entered your mind. You wanted to please them. You wanted to do what was expected of you. You wanted to do what was necessary that they were going to be satisfied. And they're nothing compared to God Almighty. And yet, is that the place that he really holds in your life today? That place that you fear him, that you respect him in such a way that when he tells you what's expected, you don't question and say, oh, but this or but. When he shows you what he wants, when he shows you what pleases him, you just do it because that's the place that he holds in your life. How important is it to have a healthy fear of God? Well, I can tell you this. There might be some that's listening here today and some that will listen off the Internet and some that would just set up and disagree altogether because some people are afraid of the idea of fearing God. Some find it a whole lot easier to talk about the love. You know, even as... As Brother Chris was sharing Wednesday before last, you know, God's love is so immeasurable. It's so beyond our comprehension. It's so great and so grand that we're never even in our finite minds fully understand it. But just as surely as God's perfect abounding love is there, the Scriptures abound with verses that show us with absolute necessity and importance not only the importance of a, a lost world fearing God, but for the saints, having a healthy fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if we're going to believe God on this issue, you'll never please God if you don't have a fear of God. You see, I can only give you a taste. As a matter of fact, I'm absolutely amazed. How many of you got a Strong's Concordance at home? 
you don't let me know, we'll find one for you. Amen. <laughs> you need a strong concordance if you're going to study God's Word. You're going to look up those words and know where they're, where they're all at. But just, just go look up the word fear, feareth, the words related to it, and look how many times that you find that. And then look at how many of those is fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord. You're in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to give you just a few, and I mean this is by no means all that are in the book of Proverbs. How important is this matter of the fear of the Lord? Well, in Proverbs chapter 2, notice what he says beginning in verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, listen, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. In chapter 8, and in verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. In chapter 9 and in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. In chapter 10 and verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. In chapter 14, verse 2, He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. Verse 16 of the same chapter, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. In chapter 15, in verse 16, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. In verse 33 of that same chapter, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. In chapter 16 and verse 6, by mercy and truth iniquity is purged and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil in chapter 19 and verse 23, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. In chapter 22 and verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. In chapter 23 and verse 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. In chapter 24 and verse 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. In chapter 28 
in verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. How important is the fear of the Lord? More important than I could possibly express to you in words here this morning. If you want to live a godly life, if you want to live a life that's praiseworthy, and men, this is just as valid a principle in mine and your lives, though we're looking at a woman here. It is a son that is being taught these principles. Time and time again, this son is taught that his living a godly life is going to depend upon his having a genuine fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of God in the first instance is what brings a sinner to his knees. It's man's lack of that that is his great danger. As we come to a close this morning in Romans chapter 3, again, what I'm sure, well, it's got to be familiar to everybody here at Bethel anyway. Romans chapter 3 Beginning in verse 9, it says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. Does it sound like a pretty exciting group of people? Why are they like that? Notice verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, part of the problem today is the world around us. They don't recognize that God's there, and they don't have a fear of God, and therefore they live such vividly ungodly and horrible lives because they don't see themselves accountable to Him. And it's the fear of God in a saved person that is required that will result in a godly lifestyle that is striving to meet God's standards. In every instance, as we've seen in Scripture, the fear of the Lord will bring you closer to Him. The fear of the Lord is what will bring you to the kind of life that He desires of you. We could say so much more, but let it suffice for us this morning that we can see clearly, folks, that the virtuous woman that is worthy of praise will fear the Lord. She'll have a fear of the Lord. That fear that can only come. You can't make it up. <laughs> You'll only truly begin to reverence Him and give Him the rightful place in your life when you truly know Him. And the only way to know Him is to spend time with Him. 
You'll never know him if you're not spending that time with him. Truly seek to know him and reverence him with the awe and the wonder that is due him. And of course, if the fear of the Lord is the key to this woman being worthy of praise. This one that has a virtuous life, God willing, what we're going to look at this evening, and I hope you can be here, is the outworking. When that fear of the Lord is truly present in a woman's life, in a Christian's life, what will be the outworking of that in reality in their lives, and what will be the result of it? And I hope those are things that can encourage you. You see, it can't even begin. These things will never come out of a life that's not walking in a healthy fear of the Lord because not to be there is to be walking in your own desires, your own wisdom, your own knowledge rather than His. Does He have that place in your life today? You see, today I'd like to say that, ladies, if you're here, and you know in your hearts, you know that that root, the very basis, the very foundation of that virtue, that it's something that can only be found in the fear of the Lord. And you know God's not everything that he ought to be in your life. Well, you know what? You've got two choices you can leave out those doors this morning, the same person that came in here, with God still having some lower place that he doesn't deserve in your life. But if you want to walk out those doors with any hope, with any hope of living a life that is worthy of praise in God's eyes, of living a life that will put you into a place to where you're truly pleasing him rather than yourself, then you're the one that can make that choice. If you need to sort things out with God, you need to do it now, today. Don't put it off. The devil's the one that will tell you to do it later. Do it when you get home. Do it next week. Do it after you've done this. Do it after you've done that. Do it when you've had time to think about it all. No, you need to do it now. Well, God has spoken to you and given you the opportunity. If you do that where you're seated or if you would like someone to pray with you, you do whatever you need to do in your life to make it real, to leave here this morning with a determination that at least you're going to get started on the right track. You see, this woman never does these things to gain praise. She never does them so that she can stand out above all the others. What we find in this virtuous woman was walking in the fear of the Lord. She's doing all these things for others. Her focus is always on the children, on the husband, even upon her maidservants, those that are there to serve her. We find that her focus is always upon doing for others, not what's being done for her. But that can only come when it starts in the right place with the fear of the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the ladies that are here. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in a place. Well, there are ladies, Lord, that... Lord, have given their lives to you that can truly be worthy of your praise because of the lives that they live. 
And Father, I pray this morning that you would be with each lady that is here today. Help them to recognize on this Mother's Day, yes, they can be worthy of praise, but not just because that they've got the name. Lord, to be worthy of a praise as a mother, to be praiseworthy in a biblical sense. And we've seen, Lord, that it must begin, first of all, with the fear of the Lord. And I pray that you can work in the hearts that each one could have that, that fear of the Lord. I thank you for those that are here that live godly lives, that, Lord, are godly wives and godly mothers. And I pray for anyone here today that's not saved, that you would speak to their heart and show them their need. And, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us can leave here today with something that's been gained from this Scripture that will make this Mother's Day truly a better Mother's Day for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.